Okay, Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your grace and your mercy and your love, Lord, towards us. And Lord, thank you for the wonderful time of worship, Lord, trusting that our hearts have been prepared to receive, Lord, your word. And Father, Lord, I do pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but also doers, Lord, that we would live out what we hear today. Father, I decrease that you would increase to myself, of myself, so fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is today's text. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're now in part 4 of our series, Last Words. Say last words. More enthusiasm. Say last words. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. Uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. And I give you two points. You might remember these points. The first one was the exhortation. Say that. And that's verses 13 through 14. Chapter 1. And the exhortation was to guard the word, to hold fast to, to cling to, cling tightly to, to keep the standard, the pattern, the blueprint of sound doctrine, of sound teaching. Why? Because it's possible to allow it to become corrupted. And Paul is saying that the teaching Timothy or any pastor should be preaching or presenting is to be the same, that, same as that which, is, which was originally given and written. It should be the same gospel, the same message, the same truth, the same thing that was taught originally. In other words, rubber stamp it, say rubber stamp it. And then Paul tells Timothy and all believers as well how we are to hold fast to this sound doctrine, he says, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now remember, faith means to believe in God's word and to be faithful to it. And love, say love, love means to practice it. So Paul is simply saying, I don't want you to just simply believe what you believe and accept the biblical truths. I also want you to live out those truths in your lives. Amen? And then Paul tells us of our responsibility to be active in the care and also in the protection the guarding of the truth of the good deposit that was entrusted to us. And we do this with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Say, lives in us. And so we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and to help us discern, rely on the Holy Spirit to help us discern truth from error and to correct any misinterpretations of the Word of God. And we cannot keep our lives sound in doctrine nor steady in the exercises of faith and love without the help of the Holy Spirit. So we must be, listen now, consciously and wholeheartedly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Amen. The second point of last week's text was the examples. Say the examples. That's in verses 15 through 18, the examples of unfaithfulness and the examples of faithfulness. And so the first example is of unfaithfulness, and Paul points out his deserting friends, and Paul gives the names of two notable men, Phygelus and Har. Hermogenes, who were among those who deserted him, and he mentions them perhaps because he had counted on these guys to come and support him. Then Paul gives the name of a devoted friend, uh, Onesiphorus, the one who was faithful to Paul, and out of all those Christians in Asia who deserted and abandoned Paul, uh, here you have this one guy, and he was faithful to Paul in difficult circumstances, and Paul pronounces a divine blessing on this guy and also on his household. Why? Because Paul says this, because he, on a Sephora, 
often refreshed me, Paul says, and was not ashamed of my chains. And so he was not, on the Sephora's, was not afraid of being identified with Paul, even though it presented a potential threat to his own safety. Then Paul tells us when Onesiphorus was in Rome, Paul says this, he searched hard for me until he found me. And Paul then pronounces a divine benediction on this faithful believer who, was encur- who has encouraged Paul. And he says this, may the Lord grant that he, Onesiphorus, will find mercy from the Lord on that day. He says, you know very well in how many ways he, Onesiphorus, helped me in Ephesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Lord, when, when that man stands before you, bless him and reward him because he encouraged and refreshed me when everyone else had left my side. You see, Paul expected Onesiphorus would be blessed in heaven because of his Christ-like, see, Christ-like actions towards Paul. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is, Be Strong. Everyone say that. Now say it like you're strong. Say, Be Strong. So in today's text, Paul is giving Timothy instruction about the specifics of the ministry and what he, is, he should do and what he should expect from the ministry, instructions on serving the Lord. Now, I want to remind all of you here this morning that though this is a pastoral letter, it's written for pastors, right, leaders, the same principles apply to every single Christian. Can I get an amen? In fact, the theme of the text is Christian fruitful Service. Now, three points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this. Point number one is the command. Everyone say that. Write that down. We're going to look at verse one. And Paul writes this You then are you therefore my son. I want to stop there. The you then, say you then, or, or you therefore is emphatic. It's the idea. The idea is that in contrast to those in Asia, who are turning away from Paul. So he says, you, therefore, you then, my son. Say, my son. This is an affectionate reminder of Paul's and Timothy's relationship. Remember, Timothy's not Paul's true son in the flesh, but his true son in the faith, right? Paul is a spiritual mentor. Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. And there's this close mentoring, close discipling relationship that Paul has with Timothy. So he calls him, Timothy, my son, and he speaks to Timothy in a very tender, very tender way because what he has to say to Timothy will be very direct and very firm. You guys with me so far? So he says, you, therefore, you then, my son, here he goes, here he goes, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, now say grace. Come on, come on, more enthusiasm, say grace. Listen, as Christians, grace is not something that we earn, but it's something, right, we receive that is given freely by God. If you believe that, say amen. Grace is God's unmerited favor. I want you to follow me here. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Now say say grace again. Follow me now. The scriptures on, on the screen there. We have saving grace. Say saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace. Say by grace. There it is. You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Say God. Not by works so that no one should what? Boast. So we have saving grace. Say saving grace. But we also have gifting grace. Say that. 
gifting grace, Romans 12, 6, says we have different gifts according to the grace, a grace given to each of us. We also have providing grace, say providing grace. Saving grace, gifting grace, providing grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, right, right? God says to Paul, my grace, say my grace, is what? Sufficient for you. So saving grace, gifting grace, providing grace. We also have abounding grace. Say abounding grace. Romans 5.20, right? Where sin increased, grace, say grace, abounded or increased all the more. Someone say amen to that. What about the fact that we are told to grow in the grace? 2 Peter 3.18, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here in the text, we have strengthening Right? Empowering grace. He tells us to be strong in the grace that is in who? Come on, come on, church. In Christ Jesus. This grace is divine enablement. It's divine empowering. Someone say amen. Now notice, Paul doesn't say, doesn't say, Timothy, be strong in the law or be strong in religion, nor does he say, suck it up, Timothy. Okay? doesn't say that, nor, you know, hang in there. No. And I love what Paul does what he does here, he points, he's pointing Timothy to the only sufficient source of strength. It is in the grace that is in who? Christ Jesus. It's not in himself, right? Not in himself. This strength is something outside, outside of himself. The strength is in the grace. There it is in the text, right? Grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, now perhaps, perhaps Timothy was tempted to rely on his own strength. Perhaps he felt over his head. Perhaps he was overwhelmed by everything that was happening to him, everything that he was called to do. Perhaps he was feeling like he wasn't smart enough or gifted enough or strong enough. Well, Paul's like, that's why I'm exhorting you, Timothy, to be strong in the grace that is in who? Christ Jesus. Paul's saying you need to walk, Timothy, and serve and live your life in the strength and grace that's available to you in your Savior, Christ Jesus. You're safe, say amen. And I want to tell you, friends, that that same strength in the grace of Christ Jesus that was available to Timothy is also available to us. I don't know about you, but that should fill, right, our hearts with confidence. Now, I want to point something out, so let's look at the text again. Be strong in the grace. There it is, grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's an imperative, which means it's a command. That's point number one, right? Command. It's a command. Also, the command to be strong is in the present tense. And so when you give a command in the Greek present tense, it gives a focus upon continuing action. You guys got that? Continuing action. So we could translate this imperative as, you therefore, my son, continue. Or keep, listen now, keep on, keep on being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So this is a call to endurance. You guys with me? It's a call for Timothy to continue in that which he had already begun. Keep on being strong in Christ-centered grace. That's what Paul's driving at. The grace that saves us, the grace that gifts us, the grace that sustains us and empowers us to serve God. This is the kind of strength that comes from abiding in Jesus. So what he's saying, keep on keeping on. 
right? Continue, 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 my son, being strong in the grace, right, that's in Christ. Not, not in you, in Christ Jesus. Ready for the lesson? Here we go. Get the right kind of power. Everyone say that. Get the right kind of power. And I want to say this. Now listen up. If you intend to serve the Lord in any capacity, you've got to learn from the start where your strength is going to come from. Are you, are you guys with me? And if you expect to just be strong in yourself, you're going to fail, friends. You're going to burn out, right? Because it's by His grace that we are strengthened to serve Him. And, and we need to be very, very careful here because it's human nature to rely on ourselves. Now, we're real good at that, aren't we? To rely on ourselves. Okay, we can convince ourselves that we are wise enough, smart enough, that we are capable enough to do things that God has called us to do in our own strength. And you see, friends, this word from Paul is a good reminder, say reminder, of our need to rely fully, fully and completely on the strength that God supplies for us. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Our strength is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves, not in our own ability, not in ingenuity, strength, or our determination. It's in Christ Jesus. Now, now, now get this and stay with me now. God cannot use us nor empower us fully until we empty ourselves of ourselves completely. I'm going to say it again. We, listen, God, God cannot use us or empower us fully until we empty ourselves of ourselves completely. Listen, since we're saved by grace, if you're saved by grace, say amen. Since we're saved by grace, then we can only serve by grace. Got it? Now I want to say this. There are two primary channels by which there is a flow from the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Christ into our inner person. It's the Word of God, say the Word of God, and prayer. That's it, the Word of God and prayer. It's through the ministry of the Word of God and the ministry of prayer that we are made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is why, listen now, friends, we need to daily find ourselves in the Word of God to fill our lives, our minds, our hearts, right, with the Word of God. And not only in the Word of God, but also in prayer. We communicate and talk to God. And this is the way that we are strengthened and empowered to do what God's called us to do. Apart from the Word of God, apart from prayer, you cannot do what God's called you to do. Are you guys with me? So we must find ourselves diving into God's Word daily to fill us and flood us, right, with His wisdom and His Word and to pray and to seek Him through prayer. That's how we're equipped to serve. That's how we get empowered to do what God's called us to do. Can I get an amen? Verse 2, stay with me now. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, is speaking of many listeners in, in public gatherings as Paul preached God's word. And the things you, Timothy, have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable, faithful men, who will also be qualified to teach others. So what Paul is doing, Paul is reminding Timothy and us, listen now, of the mission. And Paul's like, Timothy, I have poured into your life the treasure of God's word, but, but it's, it's not to stop there. 
There's a mission. Say, there's a mission. Okay, and here's the mission. Timothy, you are responsible. You guys got to get this. Responsible to pour into others and to distribute the word of God to others. Okay, as you serve through the grace of God, continue equipping others to do the same because this will ensure, get this now, that God's word will continue going forth over time. In other words, this is to be a multiplied ministry. Timothy is to pour into others, but notice, notice, notice the text. Timothy is to pour into those who are reliable, faithful. You guys with me? He was to invest his time, love that, invest his time teaching those who were proven to be faithful. You guys with me? And this is the primary assignment Paul gives to Timothy is not to evangelize the lost, though that is important, but to instruct the faithful. And Timothy didn't need to find smart, popular, strong, perfect, and good-looking men. Paul told him, Timothy, to look for faithful, reliable, trustworthy men. Faithful men who were, listen, who men were to be entrusted with its truths of God's word. Also, these faithful men, listen now, you teach will then be fit and competent and sufficient to teach others. So, you guys ready for the lesson? Pass it on. Say that. Pass it on. If you're safe, say amen. We, we are not only, listen now, only to guard, to hold fast to, to protect the treasure, God's word, but we are also to pass it on. Right? We are to invest Listen now, we are to invest it in, our li- in the lives of others. Listen, we, we should not only be students of God's word, but also stewards, stewards of God's word. We have a spiritual divine mandate to pass on the word of God. To, listen now, to pass on the spiritual baton. Now notice, you might have missed it, but notice the spiritual chain of four generations. You have Paul had passed the torch of ministry on to who? Timothy, right? So now Timothy should do so to other men, right? Got it? Who gave evidence that they too would be faithful, and these men should in turn instruct others to follow them. Guys, got it? Follow them. And I praise God that living, I praise God that living chain of truth has extended through the centuries to you and to me. And that's why we're teaching the Word of God today. And it's our responsibility to pass it on, to invest in the lives of others, and to teach them the truths of God's Word. Amen? Warren Wisby said this, the task of the local church is not to preserve the truth as in a museum, but to live it and to teach it to the generation to come. You see, Timothy was now, okay, was now on his own as a pastor of the church of Ephesus, but he needed now to find his own Timothys to train. You guys got it? So we have a responsibility to invest in the lives of others. Teach them the word of God. Right? And by the way, listen, men, listen, men. You are called by God to lead your family and to teach them the word of God. It is your responsibility to do that. Amen? Not your wives, not your kids, you to gather them together and teach them the Word of God, to pass it on, say to pass it on. 
Now I realize that I'm getting older and older every year. I'll be 62 in October. And I know that as I get older, I got to ask God to give me the wisdom. Who's next here on the pulpit? Okay, and I'm asking God to help me to train those to pass it on. Okay? I'm not saying I'm going to do that like next week or anything like that, okay? All right? Unless you want me to, all right? Okay? But, but I have a responsibility as a pastor, right, to invest in those young ones, right, so they can continue. Are you guys with me this morning? Amen? All right? Okay? All right? So that's the command. The command, right, to be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. Okay, number two. Number two is the cost. Say the cost. Write that down, the cost. We saw the command, now look at the cost. And Paul, I love what Paul does here. He uses three illustrations, three metaphors to help Timothy and us understand the cost of ministry. Listen, the cost of Christian fruitful service. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, endure hardship with us. You guys get that? This is in reference to Persecution and, and ministry hardships. So he says, endure hardships with us like a good soldier of who? Christ Jesus. So I love the fact that what Paul does, he compares the Christian life to that of a devoted soldier. No, no, listen. Okay, you don't sign up for combat, okay, combat duty if you don't expect to experience some pain. You guys with me? As Christians, we will suffer. We are. We're going to suffer as Christians. That's part of what we have signed up for. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens. And I want to say this. Listen, church, if a believer is not willing to endure hardship, they will never accomplish much for Jesus Christ. They will give up as soon as something something hard is required of them. Now notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say a common soldier. Paul doesn't say an ordinary soldier, but a good soldier. Say a good soldier. Verse 4, say it with me now. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. I'm going to read that again, okay? No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Now, I want to stop there. Those in the military, okay, if you've been in the military, you know this, right? Those in the military live by a different code, a different standard unique set of values, and though they may be, listen now, among civilians, they're not a part of the civilian world because they're in this unique military world, this unique military mindset. So so follow me here. Soldiers on active duty are concerned with military affairs. You guys with me? On the battlefield, they're not concerned with the entanglements of, of regular life. Their minds are on the battles they're engaged in in doing proper service. In other words, friends, they don't let anything, say anything, anything stand in the way of being who the military wants them to be and doing what the military has called them to do. Now, what I believe Paul is driving at here is that as Christians, follow me now, we are to live by a different code, different standard. Live by a unique set of values. And though we are in the world, the civilian world, so to speak, we are not of the world. When I say not of the world, we're speaking of the world system. We live in it, right, but but distinct from it. In other words, you and I as believers, we see things through the lens of the Word of God. 
Therefore, we are, listen, we are to not let anything stand in the way of being who God wants us to be and doing what God has called us to do. If you got it, say got it. That being said, question, what are the things that are standing, stay with me now, that are standing in the way of you being who God wants you to be and what God has called you to do? Huh? Could it be the pleasures or treasures of this world? And perhaps, I don't know, you're obsessed with your career to such a degree that it's overshadowing God in your life? Or perhaps you're in, into sports, that your interest in sports is hindering you from being closer to God? Or perhaps there's a particular relationship you have with someone that's holding you back spiritually. And you see, there are a wide variety of things that could be considered civilian pursuits. Okay, It's anything that distracts or detracts us from pursuing God and what he's called us to do and what he's called us to be. Now, the majority of these things aren't even inherently sinful. In fact, many of these things are God's, God's gifts given to us to enjoy, right? The problem is this, friends. The problem is that we've allowed these good things, say good things, to get in the way of the main things God's left us here to do. And that's why Paul gives Timothy this re reminder not to get entangled in civilian pursuits. So, so we need to ask ourselves, in light of the context, the text, what civilian pursuits are there in our lives that are holding us back from doing what God's called us to do and being what God's called us to be? Okay, What even good things, say good things, are keeping us from being fully engaged in the main things God's given us to do? Good thing to think about, right? And if there are some things there that are holding us back from doing that, Cut them loose. Make some changes. Amen? Turn your focus back on God. Let's read on. He wants to please his commanding officer. Ultimately, the soldier has but one obligation, and that is to satisfy the officer who enlisted him or her. And he or she does this by this and now, submitting to their commanding officer's Authority. And what Paul is saying to Timothy and us is if we are to be good soldiers, we must make it our goal to please Jesus Christ, our commanding officer. And we do this by submitting to his authority. It's all about obedience, say obedience, and submission, say submission, to the authority of Christ in our lives. Now listen, okay, you see, as, as Christians, one holy passion must consume us. And that is this, satisfying and pleasing Jesus. That's it, right? One holy passion must consume us. And that is this, satisfying and pleasing Jesus. R write this down, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And Paul writes, so that you may live a life worthy Say worthy of the Lord. And this is what he says. And please him. And not just please him, but he says this. Please him in every way. Are we living our lives? Are we living our lives in a way that pleases and satisfies Jesus? 
I'm not just talking about one area of our lives, but in all the areas of our lives. Are we living that way, in a way that satisfies and pleases Jesus? Verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless, say unless, he competes according to the rules. Second thing Paul compares a Christian life to is that of a disciplined athlete. Now, if you have read and studied Paul's letters, you know that he makes many, many references to athletics to illustrate the Christian life, right? We know this, right? In fact, he makes around 24 references to athletics such as wrestling, boxing, and running. Now, a serious athlete, if you know one or if you are one, right, a serious athlete makes sacrifices. A serious athlete, friends, is very disciplined. They get up early to work out. They abstain from certain foods, right? Uh, they, they go to bed early. And, and the reason why they do this, they do this so they can win the prize, right? To win the prize. Now, what determines whether one receives a prize or not is if they play by the rules. Now, when you put participate in sports, there are certain rules, right, that we must follow. We know this, right? Okay, a runner in a race cannot choose his own course. Can't do that. A player in a game cannot make up his own rules. Uh, boundaries, say boundaries, must be maintained. Rules must be followed. Otherwise, the result is what? Disqualification, right? Disqualification. And many of us, we, we have heard and known of perhaps, no, known or heard of athletes who didn't play by the rules, therefore they were disqualified, uh, stripped from a medal. And there's an asterisk, right, by their name in history books. Because they didn't play by the rules. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Obey the rules. It's that simple, man. Say, obey the rules. The Christian, if you're safe, say amen. The Christian must compete by God's rules. His rules which are found in his word, right? Listen, saved by grace doesn't mean an absence of rules. And sometimes we think that. No, no, no. Saved by grace doesn't mean an absence of rules. Freedom, say freedom, in Christ is not a call to live as we please. It's a call to live as he pleases us to live. Amen? If we don't obey the rules, and we don't, then guess what? We lose out on the rewards. And by the way, friends, all the rules in God's words, okay, because there's many rules in this word, right? They're there for our safety. They're there for our protection and for our benefit. Now listen, if the rule giver is good, is God good? <laughs> is God good? If the rule giver is good, God is good. I mean, if, if the rule giver is good and God is good, then we can trust that the rules that he gives, right, are good for us. So if we desire to run the race, if we desire to win the prize, then we must run the race according to the rules, and the rules are in God's word. Now, now I'm going to say this, okay? We like rules that serve us, but we don't like rules that restrict us. Isn't it true? And unfortunately, many people approach God's word that way. They're, they're okay with the rules in God's word that serve us. But, but they don't like it, the rules in God's word that restrict us. 
We're all hallelujah about, oh, yeah, that's good for me, right? It serves us, but the things that restrict us, oh, I don't know about that. This is God's word. And he has rules in his word. And we are to abide by these rules, whether we like them or not. Amen. Not, not some of it, not pick and choose. Nuh-uh. The entirety of his word. Amen. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer, here we go, should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The third thing that Paul compares the Christian life to is that of a diligent, say diligent, farmer. Now, now farming was and still is hard work. All right, you guys know a farmer? Are you a farmer? I, I didn't say farmer's tan. Are you with me? Okay, are you a farmer? Right? Farming was and still is, is hard work. In fact, the phrase hard working there in the text in the original language, it means to toil with great intensity. It means to sweat and to strain to the point of exhaustion. Farmers are up before sunrise, right? And they work until sundown because there is constant toil, toiling in farming, right? There's, there's plowing, there's, there's sowing, there's tending, there's, there's weeding, there's reaping, there's, there's storing. And so Paul's like, Paul's like, Timothy, remember, Timothy, Timothy, remember that ministry is hard work. And it is, right? It's hard work. So Timothy, toil energetically. There'll be seasons, Timothy, seasons of plowing. There'll be seasons of sowing. There'll be seasons of tending, seasons of weeding, seasons of reaping, seasons of of storing. Now, if you're safe, say amen. That being said, we must come to grips with the fact that living and growing, listen now, living and growing as a Christian is just plain hard work. The Christian life is not for sissy ladas. Are you guys with me? Okay? It takes energy, investment, and time. Ministry is not easy. Living the Christian life is not easy because it takes energy. Investment in time. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. Lazy, laziness has no place in the believer's life. You've heard me say this a thousand times. One of the worst things is a lazy Christian. One who doesn't work hard. One who's lazy at work, lazy in the ministry. One who's lazy in their Christian life. Let me say this. In my opinion, there's nothing worse than a lazy pastor. You know, a pastor who doesn't want to labor the Word, a pastor who doesn't want to study, a pastor who doesn't want to toil, right, and sow and tend and weed. There's nothing worse than a pastor who just doesn't want to pour, right, his life into the Word of God so he can pour the Word of God into others. David Guzik said this, Paul knew the value of hard work. Paul wasn't just called. He wasn't just blessed. He wasn't just anointed. Paul was also hardworking. His ministry would have been far less than it was if he had not worked hard. You guys with me? Now, now like the farmer, we must not also, okay, work hard, but we must also be patient for the harvest. Don't just work hard, but also remember in working and toiling, 
You got to be patient. Patient for the harvest. You see, the harvest comes when we don't give up. Right? It comes when we don't give up. It doesn't come overnight. And sometimes we want the harvest to come overnight. And so it doesn't come overnight. We give up. But the harvest, listen now, the harvest comes when we don't give up. Hang in there. Continue to sow. Continue to reap, right? Continue to plow. Continue to toil. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Paul writes, let us not become weary in doing good. You get that? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time. The what? Proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's what the farmer does, right? He sows, right? He toils. He tends. He weeds. And he doesn't give up because he knows down the line in due time, he will reap a harvest. And some of you, I got a word for you here this morning, okay? Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. You keep plowing, amen? You keep sowing. And in due time, you will reap the harvest. Amen? Let's, let's look at the text again. The hardworking farmer, listen to what he says, should be the first, say the first, to receive a share of the crops. The farmer who works hard, who works hard, is the first to enjoy his fruits. And the diligent, hardworking Christian can expect the same thing. This text, what it does, this text anticipates a final reward for serious and steady, fruitful service. There's an eternal reward waiting for those who invest their lives in the work of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you something. Are you investing? Listen now, are you investing your life, your life in the work of the kingdom of God? And if not, start getting busy. Amen? Start pouring your life into the ministry, into the kingdom of God. Say the command. Say the cost. Number three is the contemplation. Write that down, the contemplation. I want you to look at verse 7 with me. Paul says, reflect or contemplate or, or think on this. Think on this over and over. So reflect on what I am saying for the Lord. Say the Lord will give you insight into all this. So again, Paul says reflect, contemplate, think on this. Consider what I'm saying here with these metaphors, these illustrations, and the Lord will give you the ability to understand and apply it to your life and to your ministry. In other words, think this through. Contemplate until you completely understand what I'm saying to you, Paul's saying, and God, listen now, God will by His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, give you understanding, insight into the wisdom of pursuing such a life for His glory, for your good, and for the good of others. So this is something we need to do, right? We need to reflect on what God has said to us this morning. Ponder on the things that we've heard this morning, right? Continue to think about the things that we hear every time we open up the Word of God. And as you think about those things, as, as you contemplate on those things, as you think on those things, 
God through His Holy Spirit will bring to mind, to remembrance the things that He's spoken to you. And then make them clear so you and I can understand what He's saying to us. Amen? So live your life like a soldier wanting to please your commanding officer, Jesus Christ. Live your life like an athlete competing according to the rules that you might finish well and receive the reward that will never fade. Live your life like a farmer. Work hard and be patient and don't give up that you may reap a harvest in due time. Be strong. Say be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's praise him. He's worthy. Let's all stand.